This SoFi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Minutia Men on the Radio Misfits. Today on this week's Minutia Men, we're talking about Nazi stuff. Oh, and then we're we're talking about a cub, because we do that. We have an interview with a guy or a girl. We don't even know. It's Mark Cuban. We're interviewing celebrities. Ooh, it's a celebrity interview. Clearly, we're all in a great place for this. We're just (laughs) spending like a full minute ripping on Minutiaman. The only reason we even exist, the only reason this whole goddamn network exists, I swear. The best thing this show has going for it right now is that it's on the same network as Minutiaman. And friends. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast and Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is another exciting episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to have you with us today. And as usual, Lou, for every um, uh, start of the show here, every start of the Car Guys Report, we always want to just chit-chat about whatever might be happening in our Car Guys world. And... I think uh, I'm pretty copacetic with all my stuff right now, enjoying the uh, Challenger, enjoying um, all my other vehicles. Everything's running well. And I know that I think last time you said you were going to uh, try to ride out the season with your malfunctioning air conditioning in your uh, Ford Explorer, is it? Um, did you? Yeah. Right now I'm riding that out. Um just because so far it's been, uh, you know, it's 74 degrees today. It's pretty comfortable. Of course, um, when this airs, it won't be 74 degrees, but... Yeah, it'll be, you know, 24 degrees. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, uh, with that said, uh, the uh, the bonus is that, uh, you know, that, uh, if I need to air condition, like let's just say my wife's in the car and we're going to a dinner, I can jump into the, the Lincoln SUV or something like that and... Uh, uh, you know, perform that until it's time to get my new compressor figured out. So you really think it is the compressor that's the issue? Yeah, we we put the uh, refrigerant back in it, and that worked for about a week. Yeah. And, and now it's just, uh, I would say, uh, at, at best, it's a fan, you know, blowing on me. Yeah. So, you know, that's about where that's at. Yeah, sometimes there's nothing more pathetic than malfunctioning air conditioning when it just puts out this anemic stream of, of tepid air when you wish it was, uh, you know, reading 32 degrees at your vent and and doing what it should be doing. So I share well, your... Let, let, let me jump in for just a second. There's a, um, a little tip-in for our, for our listeners. Um, I was actually driving the 2013 Explorer, and it was uh, June, and all of a sudden, at full crank, my heater came on. And as it came on for full crank, the uh, the challenge with that as it, as it came on was um, uh, it wouldn't shut off. 
I was pushing buttons, I was hitting things, and nothing was coming on. So, uh, what actually ended up happening is I went to go see my uh, uh, mechanic, and he told me, he says, Lou, all we have to do is disconnect the battery, and then we're going to wait 10 minutes. And basically restarted my computers, and that was it. So he pulled the battery cable. I said, can we just put it right back on? He goes, nope. <laughs> I said, okay. And he says, we got to wait 10 minutes. And I waited 10 minutes. He put the positive cable back on. And surprisingly, everything worked as expected. So, But uh, it didn't work with the AC, for, though, right? <laughs> yeah, no. The, the AC clearly is, seems mechanical now. And you've never had that problem recur with the uh, blower motor? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah. I mean, and uh, as as we're speaking, I have a uh, hundred and sixty thousand miles on that uh, two thousand thirteen uh, Explorer four door. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's the way um, modern cars are. That you know they're they're so computer oriented that you just basically have to reboot and uh, repower sometimes, and then hopefully you won't have the problem again. But why those things happen. I think they were trying to emulate you, Lou. You're always kind of a guy that's full on. And I think your, your car was like, you know, I got this full on guy driving me. I'm going to be just like him. And yeah, probably, yeah. A lot of times the car takes on the uh, persona, kind of like, you know, you'll see a dog when somebody's walking it and you kind of look at it and you go, it looks like the owner. Well, they always say that dogs kinda, resemble their owners. Yeah, so uh, so my, I would obviously be the I don't have a dog right now, but if I did, I would say a, a bulldog would probably be uh, the right uh, choice for for my dog. <laughs> Doesn't really look like you though, unfortunately, Lou. That's the whole thing. Maybe personality wise, but um... either that or a, or a happy puppy with a pork chop just wagging the tail. Especially <laughs> if I'm around cars. If I'm around cars, probably the happy puppy with a pork chop. That's it. That's it. Uh, saw a couple of uh, interesting cars and one one interesting story um, recently when uh, we always like to talk about cars we've seen on the road or in real life actually driving and things like that. Uh, a red TR6, we, we talked about a Triumph in the last uh, episode that was the ultimate uh, Triumph. Uh, this one actually wasn't quite that nice, but it was decent. Uh, a, a red TR6, a 67 Buick Wildcat, kind of a, a, a destroyer storm gray color with Kreger mags. It looked like it was somewhat resto modded. Uh, here's one that you don't see too often, Lou, a red and white Greenbrier van. That's a Corvair van. Rear engine, just like the uh, Volkswagen bus. Uh, they didn't make too many uh, Greenbrier vans, but this one was uh, all original. Looked uh, like it had a few miles on it, but it looked clean and pretty straight. And so, then, so, so let, me, let me pause you on the Greenbrier. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but that's the side panel drop door. That was the, the side panel drop door was on the ramp side. Um, the Greenbrier van was actually a van. It looks like a you know like a like a regular van with windows in it. And then they made like a, a like a Volkswagen bus. Correct. And then they made a ramp side pickup truck, which was actually the pickup truck version of the of the same body style as the van. They would just you know basically that's, cut off the rear the part one. of it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it had a yep. it, that's the one I was it had both a tailgate and the ramp on the side. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I just read an article uh, on uh, a ramp side, 
And um, they were produced for only like five years in the early 60s, like 62 through 64 or something like that. And they didn't sell too many of them. They sold um, the, the numbers started out pretty robust. Then they kind of tapered down in the last year of production. They only made some like 851 of them. So, but yeah, very unique uh, product from Corvair, uh, from Chevrolet under the Corvair uh, model line. Uh, when you see a Greenbrier van or a Rampside pickup, uh, those are really even rarer to find than the Greenbrier vans. And then two funny stories. This all happened in the same day. I was uh, driving the 1980 Saab 96, giving it a little bit of exercise, getting that uh, V4 engine uh, uh, lubricated and driven. And I got in behind a couple of Model T coupes. And it was kind of funny thinking that, okay, I've got a couple of Model Ts poking along at about 35 miles an hour in front of me. And I'm in the Saab with a whopping 68 horsepower. And I'm going to pass them. And that's what I did. I uh, downshifted to third with the free wheel so there's no clutch involved stomped on the accelerator pedal and had that second barrel of that Solex carb open up and went right past both of them they gave me the the uh, the wave and I waved back and left them in the dust so <laughs> it doesn't wow. happen too often when when a when one underpowered car can can pass two underpowered cars but that was a lot of fun actually and then the same day coming back uh, I was out on, I, I like to kind of do a, a loop on, on my cars to get them exercised. I take them out for about an hour and I have a, a set, uh, uh, route that I drive is about 45, 50 miles long. So it's a perfect amount of time to get the car fully, fully exercised and, and, and lubricated and warmed up and everything coming back. And I said, it is <laughs> a 70 Chevelle it was a darker red color. And I said it was kind of a weird resto mod. And the only reason I say that is because it just something about it. Just I don't know if it was the style of the rims. It was lowered a little bit. And I don't know if it was the style of the rims or not. But it just didn't look all that great to me. And I said, I said, I called the guy a jackass, not to his face, but in my notes here. Uh, because he was one of these guys that he's in his, he's in his, uh, 70s Chevelle muscle car and he's in traffic you know waiting at a stoplight and he's one of these jackasses that has to sit there and and gun his engine you know while he's waiting in line and uh, and then once the light turned green the guy didn't go any far, faster than like 25 miles an hour so I don't know if he was gunning his engine because it was about to stall out and he had to keep it going and maybe he couldn't go past 25 miles an hour or what but there's a, there's a certain mentality that happens when the person decides that it's at, they're at a car show and they clearly have a lot of horsepower. Yeah. And for some reason, every time before they have to shut it off, they have to rev it up. Yeah. You know, instead of just taking the ignition and going to the off position, they have to somehow, ah! <laughs> and somehow that clears the carbon out or yeah. something like that. Of course it does. Yeah, and a car wouldn't function normally unless you give it that one big heave hole. I actually I do that every now and then too. Not at a car show, but um, you know, since I don't drive, I can't drive all my cars that often. Like when I pull the Aston back in, I might I might gun the V twelve a, a couple of a couple of times just uh, you know 
get that carbon out, as you say. But uh, yeah, I know I know exactly what you're saying. And I think it's I don't know why this guy was being a jackass, but I was just kind of laughing to myself. So I'm like, OK, that's going on the podcast. And then uh, actually, this is a, a, a pretty wild day because I saw all this stuff. What I call the hot tub on wheels. I saw a couple of them, two of them, not together, but separately. Two of those weird Polaris slingshot uh, tri-wheelers. Uh, they've got two wheels in front, one uh, carbon or Kevlar belt-driven wheel in the rear. It's got like a 2.3-liter uh, four-cylinder Ecotec engine in there. And when those first came out, I thought they were pretty cool looking when I saw pictures. And then when I finally saw one in, in, in person, I just I think they're the ugliest things around. And to me, they just look like a hot tub on wheels. <laughs> a hot tub on wheels. They do. They're just now, now really... Really ugly. Now, before we hot tub it on wheels, obviously you don't like the look. I think it's. I like. Yeah, I know you like, like it. Whether I like the look or don't like the look, it's hard not to look when you see. Oh, of course not. Look. Yeah, because they're they're different. You know. Yeah, they are so unique. I mean, uh, but what I will say is, I'm really hoping. What's the email? So if someone uh, wants to let Lou drive their Polaris, <laughs> uh, yeah. what's the email, Mark? If you want a Polaris slingshot and you'd like to have Lou drive it, please send us an email at carguysreport at hotmail.com. Somehow I think that thing is just going to be – now, obviously, we're not driving it in the winter. That would be insanity. But if, if it's be cold too. Time, yeah, and cold. But I think that that would be a real fun – I think that's a fun ride. Oh, yeah. They I'll, I'll – I'll give them the, the fact those, that it's fun, sure. Yeah, I, and I could be wrong. Maybe it's not as fun. Maybe it's really uncomfortable and cumbersome and odd and, and problematic. One thing that I've I've read, and this is early on. I mean, they've been out for like five years now already. But uh, I do kind of remember this, that I think they have overly aggressive... Uh, electronic nannies in them like uh, electronic stability control and traction control and things like that to prevent you from doing something bad but it's to the point where it interferes or intercedes too much and kind of takes the fun out of it I think that's what I recall and I don't know if you can defeat those or turn them down or whatever, but that could ruin the fun. If you're like, you know, trying to go around a corner and the stupid, you know, stability control kicks in and, and knocks your throttle down a couple of notches and takes all the fun out of it. But I do agree with you that they're, you know, they're unique looking. They, they don't do as much for me when I first saw them because I've seen enough of them now on the road that, okay, there's another hot tub on wheels. When I first saw it, I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool, but it kind of still looks like a hot tub, so... That's my uh, my um, <clears throat> take on the uh, Polaris slingshot. Now, every now and then you'll see some other like tri-wheelers, and I don't know if they're like one-offs or whatever that actually look really cool. They're based on motorcycles, and, like an well, actual couple, motorcycle. A couple of thoughts on that. One, when you said bathtub or hot, hot tub, tub on wheels, yeah. I was thinking like a Nash from the 50s. Well, that's a bathtub. Like that's that. the upside-down bathtub. Yeah, that's an actual bathtub. Yeah. That's what I was kind of envisioning. I didn't think you were going to say a Polaris slingshot. But um, in, interestingly enough, to, to your point, is uh, there's something called a, I believe it's called a Venice, or, or a, uh, which is uh, looks a lot like oh, a Oh, I know. You're ta- yeah, no, you're talking, it's the, um, I'll think of it in a second. It's the um, Vanderhall. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the Vanderhall Venice. Yeah, and then there's the uh, the then there's the what used to be called 
uh, I want to say it was the spider was before the slingshot. Well, the spider is... Yeah, that's that's actually like more like a Polaris motorcycle that's made into a backwards trike. So right. it's got the two wheels up front, and then then you're sitting on just like a motorcycle. And I was going to bring that up, too, because, again, that's something that I think they, they have some electronic stability control and some other crap on there that kind of takes some of the fun out of it. And, again, I have a friend of mine who actually is uh, one of our loyal listeners that listens to the program. He'll probably get a chuckle when I say this, that when those came out, he goes, boy, those things look great because he's a motorcyclist. And I'm like, really? I don't think so. And when you see them on the road, again, it's just like this weird thing. They're just like so wide in the front. They just look like they would just plow. It looks like you'd be able to like hook a snow plow to it and just plow your way through stuff. To me, those don't do anything for me either. Um, but, it, yeah, they still make those too, the spider, the Polaris spiders. And then the slingshot is basically the hot tub on wheels where it's basically a dedicated three-wheel vehicle instead of a motorcycle made into a three-wheeler. So so let me me ask you this question. So let's go back to the trike, like a straight-up Harley-Davidson with two mag wheels on it, something we used to see from the 70s with a single single fork out the front Mm -hmm. and a handlebar. What do you think of that? (laughs) Um, I always thought that. It's for people that can't balance, maybe, or or something. I mean, some guys that have, that have like, but some people have like a disability where they can't ride a two wheeler, but they still want the open air experience, so they they ride a trike, and that there's nothing wrong with that. I just thought they always yeah. look kind of, you know, meter maids used to drive those things, and that's why I always think that it's like a meter maid or, a, <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, so you consider it kind of a a challenged bike, yeah, so to speak, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would. Um, I always thought they were very cool, and I agree with you. It did seem like the person who might have some balance challenges, and, and by the way, that could be me, uh, would you know just be safer on a three wheeler versus sure. a two wheeler. Um, so I'm not saying. Uh, although people might think of myself as handicapped to begin with, especially my wife, but <laughs> for the rest of that, she, she decided to marry me. But but for the rest of the audience, they would say, Lou, you look like you're in fine shape. You can clearly handle a two-wheeler, which I do have a motorcycle license as well as a car license. So do I. Yep. Yeah. But my point is, is that I think trikes are cool. I mean, I think whether it was two wheels in the front, two wheels in the back, one pushing you, one, you know, two pulling, two pushing you, one pulling you. I, I always thought that those were that those were fine. Hmm. And I thought there was a certain amount of coolness. So I almost looked at it more like a, a kit bike. Like, for example, yeah. do you remember why they would have the Red Baron, which was like this helmet on yeah. top of a back end yeah. of a I, buggy yeah. with a hot rod front end on yeah. it? You know, and they called it the Red mm-hmm. Baron. Uh, they made the Mattel, uh, I think it was Mattel or Ravel models of it. I think I might have had that like, model at some point because I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so, and if you haven't got it, look at the Red Baron. You can actually go to My Car Story with Lou, Red Baron, and you'll see one, a full-size one. But my point is, you know, clearly it's a goofy mobile. You're not going to do, you're not going to be driving to a lot of places in your Red Baron, right? So kind of like that with the with the bike. It seemed like it was more of a, a, a touring kind of fun. Let's just go for a little jaunt, and you, you know, kind of a jaunt vehicle rather than a, uh, a full-blown, you know, like your Aston, you know, you could take that coast to coast. You could go New York to California yeah. and that thing. I always, you know, if you look at the modern trikes, too, um, 
the ones that are I, I think they're still based uh, mainly on Harleys, but they have like just giant like it's almost like a car. It's got like a fiberglass whole like rear fairing and just they're they're huge and they're they're totally engineered out. And I mean, they're, they're those are actually kind of cool in a way. Um, I mean, because they they had all kinds of trikes. I mean, they had like chopper type trikes back in the back in the day, like late 60s, early 70s. Then they have the modern trikes that we're talking about, and they have the meter made type trikes, and so a whole bunch of stuff. But that's again, we've peeled yet another layer uh, off of the Lou Costable story here, ladies and gentlemen. I never knew that Lou was was a closet uh, motorcycle trike. Fan, and I didn't know that you had a, a M class license either. So there you go, you're just amazing, Lou. Well, you know these are the fun things we find out about each other, Mark. <laughs> Have you ever had a motorcycle? Oh yes, and uh, uh, that didn't last very long. Yeah. Uh, truth, truth be told, oh, not only I didn't wreck it. Uh, I was just, um, you know, uh, probably about 20 years old, got my motorcycle license, did all the right things, took a safety course. I highly recommend doing that because it was very educational and uh, got my motorcycle license. I was driving a Kawasaki 900, so it was more of a, a speed bike than a street bike. But, uh, you know, back at the time frame, it was probably, you know, early, mid-80s. I don't remember, maybe late, late 70s. And uh, I can remember driving it and uh in particular the fear i had driving during the day and making left-hand turns mm-hmm. and being what i called out there yep. in the intersection you got it all by myself yep. and i just uh you know sometimes people say you you acquire a taste for beer i never did and kind of acquiring the taste for the motorcycle i really enjoy kind of dirt bike riding and trail yeah. riding and enjoying that but I did not like that feeling of there's a car right next to me mm-hmm. who's, you know, not paying attention clearly and not seeing me. And, uh, you know, you see these things that say see motorcycles, you know, and things like that. But I just don't know. People just don't think motorcycle when they come to an well, that, That's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest uh, types of motorcycle crashes is people not seeing a bike making a left hand turn. And. I mean, since I, you know, I've, I've had bikes, I've ridden bikes, I've got my license. I took the safety course. I, do, I agree with like everything you said. And it's just like, I still can't get that through my head. Like, how come people can't see a motorcycle with a big bright headlight that's on at all times during the day? And they just, I just, I, I still can't get that through my mind that how can they just be oblivious to that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to your point, the one thing I will say is that I did feel much more comfortable driving my motorcycle at night in, like, a city environment with, you know, at about 30, 35, 40 miles an hour because I felt like, you know, if someone tags me, I could almost jump off it at that speed. Yeah. Uh, Plus, I always thought that, to your point, they do see headlights. So they'll almost think it's like a car without both headlights mm-hmm. working. But yeah, in the day when I drive it and I'd come to an intersection and I'm watching cars buzz through that intersection yeah. at 45 miles an hour, I was just feeling very uh, vulnerable, alone, very vulnerable, yeah. very alone, very naked. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, you know what? It's just, 
I, I do some daredevil stuff, but this just ain't one of them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> it's funny that you were talking about the bikes that the bike or bikes that you had too, because I, I got into my motorcycle kick in the early to mid nineties for about five years. My first bike was a uh, Suzuki uh, GS eight fifty G. And then I moved up to a Suzuki GS1100G. So these were standard style or what they would call the UJM, Universal Japanese Motorcycle. They weren't crotch rockets or, or anything like that. And they were both shaft drive. I had a thing about shaft drive bikes. I thought that's that's very cool. And I remember the first time I actually, once I got my license and everything, and first time I actually was riding the motorcycle in traffic for the first time and you you hit the nail on the head when you said you know i felt very out there and that's exactly what i said to myself i'm like man you are really out there in traffic exposed while you're riding your motorcycle and there's cars all around you and everything it's a different sensation when you first start riding i never rode at night um i preferred to just head out into the country roads and go for a ride like that i didn't feel safe riding that much around in, in in stop and go urban or either either urban or suburban type traffic and eventually you know on one ride and, and this has happened in the early 2000s coming back it was entirely my fault but i took a spill and at that point you know how you kind of became came to the epiphany of like you know i don't feel comfortable on this and that's kind of you know that was my end of my motorcycle days basically is you know i had one wipeout, and i'm like okay i've had enough and i have i still have my my motorcycle license but i really honestly have no desire to get a bike again i think bikes are i can admire them from their engineering standpoint and their design and things like that but uh give me a cage you know give me a car four wheels and that's where i am right now so right yeah you know and um it depends on your you know I was driving this weekend, and um, I was driving my Viper. It was a really nice weekend. And sure enough, I see a couple of guys in a bike. The next thing I know, the guy next to me is doing wheelies. Yeah. You know, like, let's go. And yeah. I'm thinking to myself. He's challenging you then? Yeah. And I'm thinking to my, which, of course, I had to take the challenge. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, how silly do you need to get? And obviously, I was right there as silly as he was. But, you know, at least I was feeling comfortable in my go-kart versus you know he's up there by himself yeah and I, it just it, you know it does it does tend to get silly so what did you do or how did it play out um well i then took off and then he chased and then you know he got in front and you know i slowed down and you know just waved and yeah you know you, you try to give them a little enjoyment. Of course, we're always doing the legal speed limit. I've said that before on the show, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, everything worked out fine. But um, you know, it's just uh, it, it's amazing when you get on a bike how you will uh, try to bring it to the next level, so to speak. Well, you know, you, that you get a little more silly. I never did stupid stuff, though. I mean, I, I, I always kept my head about me, you know. I mean, I always wore a helmet, and I didn't do dumb. I never tried to pop wheelies or do anything like that. So, because I, I you know, and I had all the safety stuff going through my head every time I'm riding, all the stuff that you learn about, um, you know, you learn in the safety course. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I wouldn't mind getting, like, if I had, a for some reason, like a dirt bike or something to to ride on a trail or something, that could be fun. 
But um, I think I just never really liked being in traffic because I always had to. It was funny, too, because I always said, you have to watch out for the other guy, meaning the guy that might plow into you while you make a left turn. But then when I had my accident, it was my fault. You know, I didn't hit anything, but it was my overreaction that caused me to take a spill. So <laughs> it's funny how that works out sometimes. But well, to your point, I, 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 uh, I was very cautious when I was riding a bike and uh, maybe overly cautious. And again, it was a comfort level. I just yeah. didn't feel, I just didn't feel very comfortable and uh, I get it. You know, some people absolutely have a comfort level and I appreciate that, that they have that level, but I just never achieved that. I, you know, just never came to me. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I think we were, we're exactly on the, on the same track here that we both had pretty much the, the similar experience and the similar feelings. So, and even which, though we're, which, which is why it's the car guys. Report exactly. That's what I say. Yeah. Even though we're talking about motorcycle, <laughs> motorcycles, there are a lot of motorcycle podcasts too. I, I have to say that it's definitely a, a popular genre uh, along with the uh, automotive podcast, but this is the car guys report informed automotive. If you like what you're hearing on the car guys report, even though we just talked about motorcycles for about 10 minutes, uh, you can check us out on radio misfits.com or available on Spotify coming soon to Amazon audible. And you can also go to opishows.com to check out all the offerings that the Radio Misfits Podcast Network has to offer. You can email us anytime, 24-7. Our email inbox is always open. We'd like to get your comments, your suggestions, your kudos, your complaints, whatever you want. Send it along to carguysreport at hotmail.com. I want to talk briefly, Lou, about um, this is not exactly new news, but... um, just wanted to make mention of the uh, prototype uh, Ford Mustang Shelby GT350R that uh, sold at auction recently just because it was a, uh, a nice price. This is the uh, car that um, Ken Miles uh, drove along with Bob Bondurant, Peter Brock, and a whole bunch of other uh, famous uh, test drivers and race car drivers uh, back in the day. It was uh, their competition prototype designed to transform the Mustang's image from a pedestrian mass market car to a race spread mark. It was the first Shelby Mustang designed for racing, the first to be entered into a race, and the first to win. It was a rolling test bed for new ideas, components, and bits that would eventually uh, be fitted to uh, 34 customer GT350Rs they made uh, back in the day. And this car, it appeared on the um, cover of Road and Track back in May 1965. And at auction recently, it sold for $3.5 million. And then we were talking about those pesky auction fees. That gets the uh, final price up to $3.85 million for the uh, uh, GT350R. And that bet Bested the um, 3.4 million that the original Bullet Mustang recently sold for. So it's kind of interesting in the year 2020 that literally like months apart, the Bullet came up for auction, sold for 3.4 million, and then the uh, Shelby GT350R prototype comes along a couple months later and eclipses that mark and sells for $3.85 million. And also, too, I wanted to mention this, because we watched this a few months ago. My girlfriend got it from the library. Have you seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari? Of course. Yeah, you did. Um, I'm not a big race you know, fan. Um, 
I that's one part of I I don't watch races. I don't follow the race car stuff, but I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was a, a really really good movie, and even my girlfriend liked it too. We we thought the acting was good and the, the sequences were good, and it was a great movie. I really I, I would recommend it. And um, did you uh, have any thoughts on that? Um, I thought the cars were good. I thought um, I really was going to have a stretch with Matt Damon being uh, Carol Sobey, yeah. but yeah, but 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 to my to his credit, um, I thought he did a great job. Um, it, it, when I heard Matt Damon was going to be Carol Shelby, it was a little <laughs> bit like my feeling that um, um, Michael Keaton was going to be Batman. That, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. There's there's no way. Beetlejuice can be Batman, okay? It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, and, and he did an okay job as well. I still think the the current, anyway, but I don't want to get off topic, Ford and Ferrari. Uh, I thought that um, uh, Christopher Bale, who, yeah. would, by the way, was Batman yeah. in the, uh, uh, the later ones, <laughs> I thought he did a great job yeah. being uh, uh, a little bit more of a not cool guy. Mm-hmm. I was like, how are you going to take a a cool guy and turn him into not as cool. Not, not that, that, you know, our, our driver wasn't a cool guy, but he clearly, you know, played a different role instead of being very debonair. He was very, you know, raw. And, uh, I thought that showed his range of acting. Mm-hmm. So my whole point is that I thought the range of acting was really good. I didn't think Matt Damon would be able to pull it off. I didn't think Christian Bale would be able to pull it off. And I thought both of those guys did an outstanding job, which made the movie to the point where, you know, your girlfriend would like the movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So and she did. From a, from a car standpoint, um, you know, I enjoyed probably my, my favorite scene was uh, uh, Edsel Ford uh, getting the ride. Mm-hmm. In, the, uh, <laughs> in the GT3, in the GT? Yeah, in the GT. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Shelby driving him and catching him one on one with making that decision how yeah. to lock the lock the guy in the in the uh, thing. So if people haven't seen it, that I won't spoil it. But uh, to answer your question, I thought the cars were good, were great. I thought the uh, acting was really spectacular, much 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 better than I could have imagined. And uh, I think that that uh, I, I, you know even like towards the end, I mean, I was feeling very uh, choked up, if you will. Uh, for people who haven't seen the movie, I'll let them see it. But uh, well, especially uh, when that, the that, when the big explosion how, happens. Yeah, so that was that. That was the uh, to get me emotional in a car movie <laughs> is really He's saying something. Lot. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We went to motorcycles and the movies so far in this episode, Lou. We are just covering a lot of ground here today. This is great. Um, We're at the point in the program where we like to talk about a car that was either bought or sold recently online, either at auction through private sale or might actually still be for sale. We talk about Bring a Trailer a lot of times. It's a a great uh, auction website, 200, 250 minimum live auctions at any given time, a wide variety of of vehicles, Uh, occasionally trucks, uh, boats might even appear every now and then, but mainly cars, all kinds of great cars, everything from Porsches, Alfa Romeos, Volvos to uh, Ferraris, uh, a lot of uh, Japanese domestic market, uh, JDM type cars, all kinds of neat stuff. And this one, these are pretty neat cars. If you watch the um, 
program on History Channel called uh, American Pickers. Mike Wolf, who is the main one of the main characters in the um, reality show American Pickers, he has a Volkswagen Transporter, and basically the Transporter is kind of like a pickup version of the Volkswagen bus. It's got the cab in front, then it's got it's almost like the Volkswagen version of the of the Corvair Rampside, Lou. It, that's exactly what it looks like. It's got kind of that funky in you know, a rear engine, rear drive, just like the Rampside, and it's got this. It doesn't have a ramp that comes down on the side but um they're neat cars they're they're desirable just because they're rare they didn't import a whole bunch of them here in the states this one uh was i said pretty cool it was a green sinclair liver livery uh meaning uh the car was uh, painted sinclair green sinclair of course being the oil company with the dinosaur um the cool thing about this one it had a roof rack on it i don't know if that'd be a factory roof rack or a like a dealer accessory but it looks like it fits pretty well and it has a split opening windshield so it's got two separate panes of glass that that open at the bottom which is very cool um for this vehicle it was a 1967 and they called it a single cab transporter because i think they had also four-door versions of a transporter at one point too but this is a single cab transporter and I put well-bought question mark because it went for good money. It looks nice and clean. It says 27,000 miles showing, but bring a trailer always says TMU, which means true mileage unknown. Uh, sold for $39,000 on bring a trailer. So it's a unique vehicle, uh, more for show than go, I think. Um, but they do, uh, you know, if you pull into a car show and something like that, people are going to definitely, um, you know, pay attention. And especially in the Sinclair livery, livery, I thought that was pretty cool because it's a nice shade of green. And it's got the Sinclair logo on the side with the dinosaur. But uh, thirty-nine grand, a uh, pretty good price for a nineteen sixty-seven Volkswagen single cab transporter. And uh, we also like to uh, give a shout out too, as well, to Hemmings.com. That's another great place to. Uh, Start any kind of classic car, specialty car, exotic auto search, whether you want to see just what's out there, what stuff is selling for. Uh, both Bring a Trailer and Hemmings.com are great places to uh, start uh, a search. And we always like to talk about some interesting things that have been bought or sold here on the Car Guys Report and Formed Automotive. If you like what we're doing, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Like the show, Back to You. It's an Opie show, legendary Chicago TV personalities, Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Talk about their daily adventures and the long list of things that get under their skin. You can listen to Back to You on Spotify opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts to search for radio misfits and that's where you'll find us the car guys report informed automotive mark vernon along with lou costable thanks so much for taking us along for the ride and lou i think we're both old enough to remember the classic checker cab do you remember those Oh yeah, there were there were the yellow ones, there was the green ones. I mean, that's that that was how it rolled. Yeah, Checker. Uh, there was an article that came out recently in Hemmings Classic Car. It was a, just a fantastic uh, article, kind of a mini uh, history of the Checker Company. And basically, it was interesting because they're fairly, I guess you could call them vertically integrated, because they were the ones that actually owned the cab company. 
and they were also building the cabs that were used in the cab company. So they almost kind of started, you know, a modern, the modern version of, of cabs. Now, of course, we have ride sharing and things like that to compete with the cabs. If there's yellow cab, and there's checker cabs are, are the two that most people remember. Checker cabs traditionally being um, pretty much green and yellow, as you mentioned. And the checker marathon was the uh, one model that I pretty much remember uh, growing up. It started... Um, Boy, they didn't change the body style uh, that much. It was, I think, in the mid-60s that they started making the, uh, yeah, early 60s, they started making the, the classic, what we consider to be like a classic checker cab. And the thing that I found fascinating about this article is the fact that, and I titled the, entitled our, our little poop sheet here, uh, a checker cab, what if? And by that I mean, uh, what checker cab may or may not have been able to become because it was always a small company they weren't making a lot of cars over the years and basically here's what happened it says unlike the big three checker lacked a line of smaller cars that could balance out its fuel economy numbers the fuel crisis also caused a sharp decline in sales of both commercial and non-commercial checkers as buyers looked elsewhere for better fuel economy the company landed a contract with gm to produce camaro and firebird frames i never knew that which helped keep the plant busy during the slowing economy so that means that my 75 firebird may have a frame that was built by Checker, which is kind of interesting. Checker's last styling change came in 1975 when the chrome bumpers were replaced by massive aluminum guardrail bumpers needed to meet new impact standards. They weren't pretty, but they were pretty functional. Salvation seemed to come in early 1977 when retired GM president Ed Cole became chairman and CEO of Checker and David Markham was president. Cole believed he could transform Checker into a much larger company, and he had the skill and the contacts to make it happen. It says Cole's friend, the big New York Cadillac dealer, Victor Potamkin, joined Cole as an investor and began selling checkers in Manhattan. Cole had his engineers look into offering the Oldsmobile diesel engine in the cabs and began testing them immediately. Longer term, though, he realized Checker needed a new car design for the way the world was going. So another revamp of the basic 1956 model simply wasn't going to cut it. Now, this is wild. Get this. One idea was a VW Rabbit diesel hatchback stretched 19 inches, which would supply the roominess desired and the fuel economy needed. A Rabbit test mule delivered a reported 45 miles a gallon. And it says wow. here, for comparison's sake, Cole and Markin also had a concept car build also had concept car builder Autodynamics create a Chevrolet Citation stretched nineteen inches. And the resulting vehicle was larger and sturdier than the rabbit based concept and was considered a highly acceptable automobile. And that's interesting too, because both those cars are front wheel drive. So that would be a complete departure from the classic uh, front engine rear drive checker marathon. It says here, however, hope was extinguished almost as quickly as it has arisen 
prison. In May of 1977, Ed Cole died in a crash in his private plane while on his way to Kalamazoo, where Checker was based. He'd been the spark plug behind Checker's plans for the future, and with his death, it seemed like hope itself died. Checker's longtime chief engineer tried his best to come up with a car that Checker could build using the Chevy Citation taxi concept as a starting point. The design evolved into a new car based on the Citation X platform, but featured its own body with simple angular lines that Checker could build utilizing low-cost tooling and maximum interchangeability of parts. It looked like a VW Rabbit on steroids, but it was certainly a viable product with the room reliability and fuel economy that could have made it a success. Fenders were made of flexible plastic to eliminate minor impact damage, and it was the best chance that Checker had to continue as an automaker. But of course, in the end, that didn't happen. And I said the last checker was driven off the assembly line on January 12, 1982. It was a sad occasion, the end of 60 years of building America's favorite taxi. Now, this is interesting. This is another thing I never knew, Lou. It says after the last checker was actually manufactured in 82, the company survived for another 27 years, stamping out parts for Chevrolet and GMC pickups, Blazers, and Suburbans. And it says the event that finally killed Checker Motors was the 2009 recession when vehicle sales hit a wall and orders from GM dried up. That's that stuff that I just never knew about Checker. You just think of one thing. You get that Checker Marathon in your in your head, and that's the only thing. I never knew they made body panels and frames for GM, and I never knew that they had these test mules that were styled after both a Chevy Citation and a Volkswagen Rabbit. I mean, just think what... what things would have looked like if they went through with that night and they unfortunately they didn't have any any pictures because i don't maybe none exist but they didn't have any pictures of like the stretched rabbit or the stretched citation but it's just fascinating to me at least to think about the way history could have been altered there if they went forward with these with these two one or one or both of those designs i just think it's it's pretty funky to think about a a 19 inch stretched volkswagen rabbit painted yellow and and green being used as a taxi cab in the um you know late 70s and early 80s mark two things come to mind as you're talking about this one is um where you find this stuff is amazing I, I, you know, you, you know, that, that really makes, I mean, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing the, the, the podcast with you is because I'm as entertained by you as hopefully our <laughs> listeners are. Number one. Number two is, um, you are an outstanding reader, which is why people on the, on the, on the podcast should never listen to Lou read anything. <laughs> well, sometimes I, I, I stumble and, and ramble more than I should, but, uh, there, I think it's 40 is. years of radio showing through. Yeah, so I mean, you're a true professional. It's really a treat uh, to uh, listen to you read uh, some some something that you find and then share it with us because not everybody can do that skill. And, and I'll be specific. I think women, and I'm being specific, uh, do a much better job of reading, uh, whether it's you know storybook time or whatever. And, and you're right there with them. And I'm saying that positively. You know. Kind so of, you're saying you know, my feminine side is showing through. No, I'm saying that you're, that you're that you're you know you're you're helping us compete, uh, you know, so, so that if somebody says something like you know well, you know this and that, and I could say well you know you should listen to Mark read. I mean, well the good. the widow brown bear walked through the woods. <laughs> 
you know, maybe we should go back to you reading. Apparently, yeah. it's, it's you reading car stuff. There you you're, go. You're much more connected to the topic than uh, the, the widow brown bear there. Well, so. well Lou, I, I certainly appreciate your, your kind comments there. And I do have to say that, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, that I am a, I'm a student of history. I read a lot of, of history books. It's pretty much all I read whether it's American history, American biographies, biographies of things, biographies of actually, I guess you could call it a biography of a thing. Like I've read books on the Brooklyn Bridge, the Panama Canal, the Hoover Dam, you know, just, and that's a biography of an actual, you know, entity versus just a person. And um, I just am always fascinated by just finding obscure things that I think, you know, that I find interesting and I would hope that, you know, our, our listeners and our audience find it uh, interesting as well, because I just like some of that obscure stuff, because, I mean, whoever thought of checkers, you know, you can find checkers for sale now and they actually do have a following. Um, I've seen a couple. I, I remember at the orphan car show that I used to attend many years ago. It's unfortunately no longer uh, functioning as a car show, but there was a gentleman there that had a early checker cab. And this thing was probably like a early 50s uh, model. And he was saying that it had, was used in some movie with like, you know, some 50s movie star that, you know, like Ann Miller or somebody like that. And uh, he was totally into it. And he, and he said, like, you know, even though I'm driving this thing down the road, people still try to, like, hail me. You know, like, they think I'm a real cab or whatever. So it's pretty funny. But I just think I just like finding stuff like that. And I hope that our uh, audience uh, finds it as interesting as I do. So I appreciate your thoughts there, Lou. And, you know, while we're while we're in this group hug love session here, you know, I always enjoy your stories because you add a lot of interesting insights and sidelines to what we do here on the car guys report so i just wanted to give you some love back there brother how about it <laughs> yeah well, well we 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 uh, uh we volleyed the ball well over the net <laughs> you with your your reading and literature and history <laughs> and me with my quick wit uh, that hopefully doesn't throw us off a podcast uh, radio <laughs> yeah between the two of us we do okay good that is yeah that's well said we have sanitized all our opi shows for your protection but you should still be wearing a mask help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by following the CDC guidelines. You'll be saving the world and also be sure to wash your hands and that's kind of the standard uh, thing that we like to do in the middle of the podcast. Sometimes uh, the ink comes off the pages that I printed up and I got to clean them. So I'm going to go wash my hands. Lou can do the same and we'll be right back with Clean Fingers after this. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we have a lot of fun talking to a gentleman that has accomplished an awful lot in his life, Dr. Ian K. Smith, a physician and author. He's written over 20 books, and his latest book, The Unspoken, is going to be turned into a television series. So Dr. Ian K. Smith, our guest on the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. What is the deal with all these little, little liquor shoppers. bottles? Uh, yesterday was my sister's birthday, and as Germans, I just thought it would be fun to buy a bunch of little ones. And as it turns out, I bought too many. You've got some crap here. you got yeah. rumple mints. Oh, it's awful. 99 apples. Uh, that is uh, apple schnapps. That oh. is 99 proof. Are you kidding me? No. Holy crap. Which means it probably doesn't taste like apples at all. <laughs> Be my guess. So this is 50% alcohol. Oh, right? yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, all right. You want one? Oh, my God. This <laughs> this Apple stuff is all... <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah, all of these are so horrible. Ugh. No, not even a hint of an apple. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Hostable. We're having just a, a great time on this episode of the Car Guys Report. We've covered everything from uh, checker cabs and motorcycles to... Uh, a few other topics as well, but it is the Car Guys Report. And Lou, you know, I'm about six foot three, maybe a tad bit taller, and I got long legs. So to me, leg room is important in a car. Um, headroom has never really bugged me that much because um, I don't have, uh, you know, most of my, my length or height or whatever you want to call it is in my legs. Uh, and I don't wear a hat usually, so I don't have like a Stetson to squeeze under a sunroof uh, squeezed uh, inside cabin or something. So U.S. News and World Report came out with a uh, listing of cars and SUVs on the luxury side that are for tall people. And they didn't really define what tall people is. Uh, I don't want to emasculate you, Lou, but um, you're not six foot three, right? No, I'm uh, I'm I'm five eleven. Oh, you are okay. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure how how tall you were, but yeah, do you have so, a problem with legroom in anything? Or I think you know, I say this lovingly. I think car makers design every car for me. Uh, <laughs> it seems like I'm uh, what I guess you would call the middle American. I'm the medium American. Oh, you're like the the, the guy that will have like a, a stick figure drawing or a drawing of somebody yeah, like in a like, in like yeah, the, the airplane yeah. thing, and and you'll be right. like the guy so, on the card. Right. So, I, you know, so so it seems like when I sit in a car, almost every one I go, oh, yeah, this is it's great. So uh, whether it's uh, uh, a tight uh, uh, British car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll talk a, about that in a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Let, but I'm I'm eager to hear the the tall man car report. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> well, this is this is uh, again this is selected cars that that I I always uh, take a lot of these lists that I find and winnow them down a little bit just to make them a little more doable. And sometimes there's just weird stuff that's on there. But uh, this was luxury cars and SUVs, so it's got the higher end. I don't think there's a single car in here that that retails for less than forty grand. Uh, and some go up. It, the, the sweet spot in this list is probably forty to about. It looks like forty to about eighty grand, and then there's some stuff that's a little bit farther than that. And then I was going to add a couple of my own uh, thoughts on cars that I own, whether they have good legroom or not, whether they're a luxury car or not. But I'll just start reading a, a couple of legroom uh, figures. Most of them uh, pretty much land between thirty nine point one inches up to maybe 46, a little over 46 inches in legroom. And on the lower end of the list, we've got the 2020 Land Rover Defender. Now, that's the new version of the Defender that just came out. It's got legroom clocking in at 39.1 inches. The uh, These are all 2020 models, by the way, too. So the BMW X5 and the BW, BMW X7, those are both, uh, they're kind of midsize and big, large Luxo SUVs and the Mercedes-Benz GLB and GLC, which are the com, uh, compatriots to those BMW these models. Got, these have got to be more than eighty thousand uh, dollars. An X7 would be an X5 can be eighty grand. A GLB um, is below eighty, and a GLC 
can be, you know, they're about eight. They're on that 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 price range. There's a few like an X7 will go far higher than that. But both uh, uh, those SUVs from those both manufacturers are 41.4 inches in legroom. The Infiniti QX60. Now that's uh, kind of a uh, midsize SUV or something like that. The Infiniti totally screwed up their their nomenclature about five years ago and i've never been able to make heads or tails of what a qx actually is but anything with an x in it is a uh, usually an suv from them 42.2 inches the tesla model y now this is interesting that's the new um one that came out 41.8 inches in legroom so that's not bad um the Mercedes-Benz E-Class, they're listing at 41.3. Now, I've never measured the legroom in my E-Class coupe, but I have a ton of legroom in that car, and it seems like it probably be more than 41.3 because I have the seat. I think it's all the way back, but it's just I just have tons of legroom. My knees aren't scrunched up on anything. It's great. Uh, the Lincoln Navigator, now I wrote down here, that better have legroom because that's a huge truck. Uh, 43.9 inches of legroom. So I wrote down kind of disappointing because you compare it to the Cadillac Escalade, which is in the similar ballpark comparison of the Navigator, the legroom in the uh, Escalade is about an inch and a half more, 45.3. Now, two of the winners on uh, this list, or the two winners on this list, and they're both, it's interesting, they're both Asian cars and they're both Korean cars. The Kia K900. Now, that's kind of an oddball car. They just redesigned it. It's the highest uh, priced Kia you can buy here in the States. It's their luxury four-door sedan, and that has 45.7 inches of legroom, bested only by the Genesis G90, which is also their... um, one of their big four-door sedans, that clocks in at 46.3 inches of legroom. So that's surprising that uh, two Korean cars would have more legroom than something like a Cadillac Escalade or a Lincoln Navigator because, yeah, you just think that, you know, the American cars, uh, big, huge SUVs would have just acres of legroom. Now, the two caveats I was going to add to this from real-world experience. Let me me jump in first. Yeah. That that really says a lot, and I'll tell you why. I think I know where you're going, but go ahead. It really says a lot because, I mean, you know, the American car, especially in the 60s, excuse me, it was king of the road. I mean, you couldn't beat a, a, you know, a Riviera or a, a, you know, Buick 225 and understand that, what you know, gas at the time seemed, you know, almost, you know, free you know, like pouring water into your car compared to what we experienced later. <clears throat> Excuse me. But point is that one of the things that really caught us off guard is we got so comfortable putting together crap vehicles. Yep. I'll be specific, the Pinto, the Vega, you know, which, which died in like 10,000 miles or close to it. And always sounded like hell. And sure enough, the, you know, the foreign makers were paying attention to us getting lazy and surpassed us. Primarily the the Asian manufacturers, uh, Toyota, you know, Japan, first of all, and then Korea, because Korea made some real crap in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, and then Hyundai completely, you know, changed their game, and they make some of the best cars out there now. 
Well, I want to I want to add to that. I'll be specific. In the '80s, we we had our you know our our, our uh, we got caught because you know in the '70s. I mean, when you drove a Cadillac in the '50s, '60s, or '70s, you know you were a stylish uh, guy who made it. You know you you aspired to buy a Cadillac. Well, by the mid '80s, you didn't aspire to buy a Cadillac. You aspired to buy a Mercedes. Mm-hmm. If you had a Mercedes in the '80s, oh, I like that. If you had a Mercedes in the '80s, you were something. And the Cadillac, you know, we came out with the Shimron, uh, you know, which is a Shimron. I think it was the called. Cimarron. It was <clears throat> the Cavalier that looked like a Cadillac. It was a cattle. It was a, it was a Cavalier with leather seats. <laughs> Basically, is what it was. So we embarrassed ourselves, and you know, the, you know, the, the Mercedes was, you know, the doors, you know, they they sound very luxurious when you close them, and and the the German engineering was was looked at as very high end, you know, and, and Porsche had always been building, you know, but, but we started to pay attention to the German cars, I think in the eighties, um, you know, and then the Italians came out with the Countach and granted they came with that came with it before the eighties, but, but, uh, the Countach and, and the Ferrari, when it came out with the Testarossa between that and the Countach were poster cars, you know, there were no, Somebody's putting a Corvette in his poster car or a Trans Am as a poster car in the 80s, really. I mean, uh, maybe except for Kit. Um, but my point is that um, that was interesting to me that, that the Koreans, uh, you know, had the longest leg room because that means they're paying attention. Well, exactly, because you were saying, you know, in, 80, in the 80s, the, Mer- the Mercedes was the car to have. And then I was going to say in the 90s. Lexus came on the scene, and what they did is they took the best of German engineering and brought out their Lexus, and Lexus as a, is an aspirational brand almost from day one. And whenever you're an aspirational brand, like Rolex is an aspirational brand, it's something that you aspire to because you think it's like the pinnacle. And like you said, in the 60s or whatever, Cadillac, you know, was their, their standard of the world, I think, was their, their slogan for a long time? Um, or is that Packard? I can't Packard is Ask the Man Who Owns One. So I think it was standard of the world or standard of excellence or something like that. Yeah, Cadillac. You're yeah. Cadillac. And Lexus became, you know, as good or better than, than Mercedes and BMW. And then you're saying then as Lexus, uh, the Japanese makers continued to, to crank out quality and then that quality trickled all the way down to even the cheapest Japanese car you could get whether it's a Honda Civic or a, a Toyota Sentra or something like or a Toyota Corolla or a Nissan Sentra something like that uh, then the Koreans really started um, upping their game and like you said and that's exactly where I thought you were going to be going that they've been paying attention and they're giving a large part of the car buying public things that they want and need in cars. And that's why Hyundai is just killing it in sales and everything. There's the, there's a, a woman that lives across the street from me, and I believe she's on her fourth or fifth Hyundai because she, I, was, I don't know if she's leasing them or whatever, but she's like, like just trading up every year. And it's amazing. And then she bought one for her for college-age kids to drive too. And that's brand loyalty right there. Obviously, they're good cars because she keeps buying them. It's amazing. And then my other neighbor is like on her fourth or fifth Subaru, and she's a total Subaru person. So it's just like, <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what you want. You want that loyalty, and you want that that repeat business. And when you can get that kind of 
of of loyalty that means you're doing something right and i think it's you know hats off to them so what i was going to say here real quick was i had that giant bentley i had the 1994 bentley continental r which is their two-door uh bentley you would think a giant two-door bentley that weighs 5400 pounds would have tons of room inside it and i wrote down here legroom bentley sucked um I just did not have that much legroom in it at all. Uh, my Aston Martin has more legroom than the Bentley had. And even when I had my Jaguar, I had a 92 Jag XJ12 sedan, and that was a little better than the Bentley, but not much better. And that's a big four-door sedan, too. So that you know that should have a lot of room in it. Then my new Challenger has plenty of legroom in it, which is nice. Uh, my E-Class Mercedes, like I said earlier, has plenty of legroom. The Porsche 911 is a little tight, but not too bad considering the kind of car it is. And then, hell, I'm, I'm driving a Fiat 500, and I'm a tall guy, and I somehow managed to fit into that okay. So <laughs> it's funny how it all works out. But just some interesting things to talk about regarding legroom on this and this uh on this um, list here, because that's one of the things that I do whenever I'm looking at a, a, a different car, if I am able to actually sit in it before I buy it, like obviously I, I didn't sit in the Aston because I bought it sight unseen and the Bentley, the same thing. But, you know, the first thing I do is I sit in a car and I shove the seat all the way back because that's usually what I have to do to have, make sure I have enough legroom. And then I adjust everything else in conjunction with that. So, you know, you're Mr. Average or you're Mr. Median or whatever you want to call it. So everything fits you well, and it's not always the case with me. So I'm glad that they, they printed this because sometimes sometimes us tall people just don't get the respect that we deserve. <laughs> yeah, tall people's lives matter. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, so anyway, let me see here. When you listen to the Car Guys Report on uh, Informed Automotive, that's what our uh, podcast is called. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Android, Stitcher, Blueberry, and iHeartRadio. We're coming soon to Amazon Audible as well. You can also check us out on RadioMisfits.com. That'll plug you into all the podcasts that are available through Radio Misfits, including ours. And when you do that, just remember that everything you get on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network is free and it's listening on your own terms, whether you're listening in your home, your office, your home office, your car, the park, on your run, walking your dog, on your tablet, your laptop, your phone, your desktop, whatever. That's what you can do with podcasts. You can stop, start, restart, replay, rewind, delete, go back and re-listen. You can do whatever you want. It's listening on your own terms. And when you tune in to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, be sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast as well. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. New content every Tuesday. You'll get an automatic push notification. And if you could like to leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts, we would certainly appreciate that as well. That's what the Radio Misfits Podcast Network is all about. Great podcasts. They're always free and listening on your own terms. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Uh, Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. And Lou, we're at the point in the program where we get to play the Car Guys Report guessing game. Actually, I'm the player, and you're the, I don't know, who are you, the teacher, the referee, something like that. Yeah, I put myself more in the, uh, um, uh, yeah, probably the referee is the best way to look at it. I'd say uh, I, I referee the game and, and you get to play it. So 
Uh, in case this is the first time somebody's listening to the Car Guys Report, the I have a YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. It has over 1,500 different cars on that channel. Um, and um, uh, each car will obviously get a number of views. So we let the videos, I'll call it, percolate for a while. And we take a look at them a couple, you know, like a couple of months later and see how many views each car got. And Mark has not seen any of the information but yet we're going to determine by, uh, and I always start with the oldest car first, and uh, we'll determine which had the most views. So you could video cars, put it on YouTube, you're gonna get completely different numbers than I am, so it's all based on my channel. So uh, that said, the oldest car we're starting with today is a 19, and you can guess at home too, because Mark will give you a little moment before uh, you guess. Well, that's part of the fun of the Car Guys Report guessing game. It's not just me. It's the other people. It's all our oh, listeners, yeah. which is great. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So the oldest car that I'm sharing today of the three uh, is a 1932 Ford Vicky, a Ford Victoria Vicky Hot Rod Custom Resto Mod. Uh, the next oldest car is a 1973 Plymouth Duster Resto Mod in orange. Hmm. By the way, the Ford Victoria was in gray hmm. with um, blacked out spokes hmm. uh, to go along with the rims. And it has a 408, the 73 Duster. And the last one in the list is a stock appearing or a survivor 1976 Buick Century Indianapolis 500 Pace Car Edition. Hmm. So a 32 Ford Vicky with uh, Resto Mod in gray, a 73 Plymouth Duster Resto Mod with a 408 engine in orange, and a 76 Buick Century Indianapolis 500 Pace Car that looks factory uh, at, uh, you know, surviving factory. Somehow... She's real fine. My 408 doesn't have the same ring as the song She's Real Fine, My 409. But, okay, I think I got this one in the bag. I'm getting a little cocky here. So we'll go with the Buick Pace Car first, the Duster second, and the Vicky third. Okay, number one was the 408, which really great. Yes. Huh. So number one was the 408. Uh, number two, you uh, picked, uh, uh, which was the Duster, so you can't get the number two yeah. slot. The two slot, though, you were correct, was the Buick. Okay. Uh, and then the last one was the Ford Vicky. So, so I'll actually, the Vicky was the only one I was correct on because I picked that as number three. That was number yeah. three, right? Okay. Huh. So, so number three on the Ford Vicky was 2,304 views. Uh, number uh, one was 4,789 views, the Plymouth Duster Resto Mod. And right in the middle was the Buick at 3,838 views, huh. 3,838 views. So um, we didn't get the numbers right on track this time, but hopefully the listeners are saying, I got it just as it is. So one more time to the listeners. Number one was the Resto Mod Duster. Number two was the Buick Century, and number three, which Mark did get correct, uh, the win place and the show, Mark got correctly uh, in the 32 Ford Victoria. What do now, you I want to see, Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what do you think pushed the duster to the top of that list? Because I was just thinking that the Buick is this kind of a unique thing that you're not going to see, especially since it's unrestored, and a lot of times those cars tend to do well 
Yeah. Uh, so, so to your point, yeah, we're gonna, we were actually kind of clamoring over over the list this time. This just goes to show you that uh, when you throw a video up, you never know what's going to get it. And now, all three of these cars, you know, could have been the winner, in my opinion. This thirty-two Ford Victoria was a really, really well done car. I mean, this was one of those where, although it's a resto mod, you you can see everything was done correctly. Where you, you just wanted to applaud as you walked up to the car. You're just like, okay, that's just, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually not a gray car fan. I like gray. I love gray as a color. Well, the way this guy set this up and, and offset it with the black, it gave it an extremely modern feel mm-hmm. for a very old car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the duster... I mean, you couldn't miss orange, right? I mean, you, 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 you know, it was like the sun as you walked past it. Well, so, go mango. Yeah, so it was just, you know, super bright. And to your point, uh, you know, personally, I like the cars that remind me of the time period, which means they look all like you pulled it out of the showroom and you get a feel for what a 76 Buick feels like, which you're not going to get in a resto mod car. You're just going to feel like a modern car. So, um I, I I wasn't sure that week how they were going to play out, but yeah, to your point, I mean, I I didn't see that, uh, you know, uh, one would have a, a thousand more than the next one, and one would have a thousand more than the next one. But uh, that's how they play out. So I mean, all of the cars really on the channel are 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 winners, and that's not just because they're on my channel. I mean, sometimes it's the stories behind the cars that are almost more amazing than the cars. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Did so. Buick actually pace then at the Indy 500? Because it somehow seems Buick and pace cars don't exactly go hand in hand. Well, to answer your question, the answer is yes. And the, the, the original pace car, as I understand the story, you can go to my car story with Lou. Uh, it's the uh, Buick president of the club, the, the Buick Club. Uh, I think it's Buick Club of America was uh, the owner of this car. And he tells the story. But, I, you know, these, I think, came with like 350s or 305s. And the one that was actually the pace car had like a 450. Yeah, to it. cool. So... So, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, this is the, you know, the the fun part of the channel, whether it's we're listening to our podcast or you're listening to the YouTube channel, is that when on my channel, you know, I'm not the knowledgeable person. Like, if you go to Jay Leno's garage, a lot of times Jay Leno has more knowledge than the caretaker. Um, (laughs) I don't have more knowledge than the caretaker. I am there to just ask good questions and let them share now, we also do something that Jay Leno doesn't do, which is something that I call trunk and treat. So a lot of times people collect the brochures, the time period correct brochures or time period correct ads that came out in the magazines that represent their cars. Uh, Jay doesn't do that on his channel. Um, um, you know, and a lot of times on Jay Leno's garage, it's about Jay Leno driving the car and giving his kind of take on how that car drives. You know, usually if I do get a ride, it's that, that just that. I'm getting a ride, and, you know, the caretaker tells about how they feel about the car when they're driving. <laughs> but, but the trunk and treats do a real favor to us because a lot of times those time period correct brochures also take us right back to the time period. I mean, some of the, some of the photographs of the cars in the 60s and some of the outfits people are wearing or some of the, the brochures in the 50s, and the, the, the woman is wearing white gloves in the car and the guy's wearing a, uh, you know, a well, well-designed suit, you know, is uh, so reminiscent 
uh, you know, or you could do a one in the early seventies and the guys wearing bell bottoms. Yeah, plaid like bell bottoms and a wide leather belt, and she's getting white go-go boots and a and a pink jumper or something like that. And yeah, it's hilarious. I love to see my wife in, in some go-go <laughs> boots and a pink jumper. Yeah. So you know, I mean. Uh, uh, I wouldn't mind taking, you know, doing a little, doing a little uh, a trivia run with her or something like that one time. But, uh, um, but my point is just that is that is that the brochures and all that are are really interesting. And a lot of times, it what I call finish this finishes the discussion, which means if you go to the back of those brochures, it'll tell you what engines came with that car. Oh yeah, all the specs are back there. Yeah, so sometimes when people are like, oh, it never came with those seat belts, you know, it'll say, oh, dealer option seat mm-hmm. belts, you know, or anything like that. So um, I like showing them just because it, it eliminates confusion or eliminates opinion and tries to keep it uh, as much as possible to the, to the fact. And those are also great um, kind of brochures. Ephemera is the term um, that is used in the uh, antiques world for things like paper magazines and postcards and things like that. Those are great reference materials if you're restoring a car or if you just want, like you said, to just confirm things. I mean, a lot of times the pictures they have in there might not be that representative of the actual production models because a lot of times they were like pre-production models and there might be some things that were a little bit different. But the specs usually are should be relatively correct and like you said you know like a lot of times people say well that never came with fuel injection and it's like well no it was an option you know or that never came with air springs well yeah it was an option maybe not that many people bought it but it was available so that's well, another thing to remember yeah here's something that's come to my attention recently um is uh um sometimes the, the car companies would do a second brochure so it might be an early model mm-hmm. brochure before the cars came out. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you some specifics. I saw this recently in a 55 uh, Dodge where it showed on the cover there was a four-door Dodge. And later on, uh, 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 they showed like a two-door uh, custom version of that car. Mm. Uh, so it was the same brochure. Clearly, some of the pictures on the inside yeah. were identical, but the outside brochure uh, tried to attract even more. So it's just interesting pieces like that that really make it unique. And and the, the brochures like that, too, have pretty much gone by the wayside, too. I mean, when I bought my Mercedes in 2013, 2012, they still had a printed brochure. But when I went into the, the Dodge dealer, when I bought my Challenger, I didn't even think about asking for a brochure, but I don't even know if they have them anymore. You know, I mean, that was a, one of the fun things you used to do when you were a kid. You'd go to the car dealers and get the brochures to, to look through. And I don't know if they even have printed brochures. Everything's online now. So it's kind of a kind of a drag. Yeah, it's, um, um, you know, all part of the time period, right? I mean, uh, um, that was part of the, uh, uh, you know, I, I watching Jay Leno's Garage, it's you know, clear how he'd talk about in the 60s, they used to cover up the windows uh, and, you know, he'd go in there for a hot dog and popcorn and wait for the new car. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, I'm sure when you got your last car, your Dodge, they didn't offer you a hot dog and popcorn. No, they didn't even offer me a, a bottle of water for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, so, so times have uh, uh, changed and we've gotten comfortable with that. I mean, for yeah. example, you know, I, I just, out in Arizona, there's these, I'll call them uh car um uh, uh vending machines where there's this uh, oh yeah carvana 
Yeah, Carvana's yeah. the company. They're a publicly held company, and yeah, they it, that's their they're a used car online used car seller is what they are. And part of their gimmick, I guess, or the way they get attention is they build these these jewel boxes that are five stories high that are glass on all sides and they have cars in in there on all four sides and then in the center and then part of the deal is if you don't get your car delivered from them you can go there and you get like this token it's like a giant um, token you put the token in and you like pull a lever and the car comes down it's like spitting your car out like a jackpot you know yeah it's a it's a vending machine yeah exactly so you know instead of getting your uh your M&Ms, uh, when you hit uh, B1, or, uh, <laughs> you, you know, now you're getting your car when you hit B1, and it, it comes down to you and, and that. So, uh, or to, to what you just said, I mean, now cars, you order them, and you hit the accept button, and they'll show up at your doorstep. Yeah. I just hope that when you go to Carvana and you put the token in, I hope the car doesn't dangle. Like the Snickers bar does in the uh, in the vending yeah, you machine. To, you have to shake the whole yeah towel. tilt, drop already, will you? <laughs> similar to that, similar to that Vega in a previous episode where they stacked them on their the Vertipack yeah. exactly. Harkening back to that episode of Seinfeld when George is tell, screaming at the Twix bar to jump from the uh, dangle in the uh, vending machine. So, exactly. Lou's uh, YouTube channel is called My Car Story with Lou. Check it out if you can. 1,500 plus uh, incredibly awesome car videos, 85,000 subscribers, always something new and interesting on his channel. And we also play the Car Guys Report guessing game on every episode of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. So, make sure to be listening for that and it's a game that you can play along with as well coming up on the next episode of the car guys report it's one of our full of bull episodes where lou and i'll shovel the bs higher and deeper is the better way to do with that so we'll have some fun with that thanks so much for taking us along for the ride certainly glad to have had you with us special thanks to executive producer tony lasano with opishows.com Opi is hippo spelled backwards. O P P I H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that would be radiomisfits.com. This Opi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID 19. The proceeding was a presentation of Opi Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On this week's Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, we talk with a New York Times bestselling author whose work inspired a blockbuster Hollywood masterpiece. We talk with Midnight Express author Billy Hayes. Listen to Minutia Men Celebrity Interview on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. If you missed Losano or Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed.
140 frozen turkeys were stolen from an <laughs> Illinois market. Uh, I can't imagine stealing $2,000 worth of frozen turkeys. Maybe it's like the Thanksgiving Robin Hood. He's stealing <laughs> He's the turkeys stealing to, to give to the turkeys. It's, it's oh, hard right. enough to handle one frozen turkey. <laughs> right. Here's the Thanksgiving. Let's give Jesse White a plug right now. Oh, yeah. Our oh, guy. Man. He, most people, I bet, in this room don't know this. Of all the different things about him we don't know. Yeah. He will have collected... And delivered 10,000 turkeys. Yeah. By Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe and personally direct it all himself. He, personally direct it all. He'll be, he'll start at five in the morning yeah. and end at 10 at night. That's and he's crazy. done it for 25 years. I had him on my old TV show very early on and went, and we had him with the Jesse White Tumblers and I watched him. He set everything out, out uh, up with the, the kids. Mm-hmm. He is always hands on. He's always there. So I find him to be a, an amazing, amazing. man. And very one. lively. Wild talking Jesse White called <laughs> and he did I showed you yeah. he was calling I said should I take it no, no, no. and so he just said that it's 50 years 15,000 turkey snaps oh, oh no <laughs> and then he called just to make yeah. sure I said I can't talk I'm on the radio <laughs> Radio Misfits get more Lozano and friends Lozano now on Lozano.com Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called.